Welcome to the Go and Teach Bible Study program presented by the Monta Vista Church of Christ in Phoenix, Arizona. We want to thank you for joining us today as we examine the truth of God's Word and the answers it holds to life's most important questions. If you have questions about this lesson or would like to study further, please contact us at montavistacoc.com. Now let's open our Bibles and study God's Word together. Thank you for joining me on the Go and Teach radio program. My name is Ryan Goodwin. I preach for the Monta Vista Church of Christ here in Phoenix, Arizona. If there's anything at all from our program today that you'd like to talk about more, if you have any questions about our church or the things that we preach and teach, then please reach out to Monta Vista. We would absolutely love to sit down and have a Bible study with you. That's all it is, opening up our Bibles together. So if you've got a Bible handy, let's start with a verse here in Matthew chapter 7. And we'll look at Matthew 7 verse 7 where Jesus says, Seek and you will find. Add to that Acts chapter 17, verse 27, where Paul noted that they should seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. We need to keep in mind that our spiritual life is in our own hands. That yes, God is seeking you, and God is calling to you, and he's acting on your behalf. He's calling to you through the gospel, through the preaching of the word. But You have to be the one to take his help. Romans chapter 10, verse 21. As for Israel, he says, All the day long I have stretched up my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. The problem wasn't that God wasn't reaching for them. The problem wasn't that God was inaccessible or that God was somewhere that they couldn't find him. The problem was that they didn't want to come to him. They weren't seeking after him. God's hand is outstretched to each one of us. Every moment that we have life, every moment that breath passes between our lips. But if we refuse to accept him, the loss of our souls to eternal damnation will be solely on our own shoulders. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to be with him and to dine with him. And he with me. Each one of us alone is going to have to carry our burdens to the eternal abode, whether it be heaven or hell. And that fact alone makes God worth seeking. So what I want to do with our radio program today is talk about what it means to look for God. How do we come to him? What attitudes do we need to have? How is it that you truly seek and find God? Because if he's made himself accessible, and if that is true, then a failure to find him doesn't rest on him. Here's a couple of things to think about as we get going with our lesson. Even the long hours of seeking God through Bible study, through meditation, through prayer, through listening, even though that might seem very tedious to some people, isn't it worth it to know if you're going to go to heaven or hell? Isn't it worth it to investigate the promises that are offered to you by God? Satan has disclosed as much as God has, so perhaps it's time to stop giving the devil so much of your time and start listening to what God has to offer. 
Remember what it says in Luke chapter 15. There are three parables that are offered there, each of them about finding something of incredible value. One parable talks about a man who left 99 sheep safe in their pasture to go look for one that was lost. Another parable is about a woman who lost a coin in her house and she turns everything over to try and find it again. And another one is about a man whose son goes away to live a prodigal life. But that man waits with open arms for his son to return one day in repentance. We must show the same willingness to seek after that which is valuable. And God is the most valuable thing. God is the most valuable relationship. What he has to offer us in terms of salvation, it is the most valuable promise and the greatest hope of anything. Isn't it worth it to seek after that? Isn't it worth it? God wants to be found. He's made himself so obvious to the world that one wonders how some people can go their entire lives without even touching a Bible or attending some kind of a worship service of some kind of religion or praying about something. At some point in your life, you're going to have to face God. He is there. And as much as you might want to convince yourself that he's not, he's so obvious that even the most diehard unbeliever has to acknowledge at some point that something is beyond the physical, that something is there. He's not hidden. He's made himself readily available. Psalm 19 in the Old Testament says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. That what God has done in creating this world and crafting it with his hands, in holding it together and sustaining life by his very power and his will, all of the design that we see around us begs for a designer. All of the creation that we enjoy every day and take for granted, it beckons us to seek the creator of those things. Everything spiritual about us, the love that we feel, the sense of justice and morality that is built into us, our conscience, our sense of guilt, the beauty that we see in the creation around us in a sunset or a sunrise, romance that we feel towards somebody else, affection that we have for our children, for our friends, our colleagues. All of these speak to the handiwork of God. They speak to his existence. They testify about him and what he has done. But seeking God does take work. And if you're not a religious person yet, maybe you're just starting out on your journey seeking God. Maybe maybe you stumbled across this radio program today just by accident. You're just tuning through the radio stations. Maybe you've never been to a church before. You don't even know what church is like or what somebody does at church. Well, no matter how much work it takes, no matter how many places you have to visit, no matter how many hours you need to read or study or ponder or meditate, no matter how much prayer you give, no matter how many friends you lose in the fight for your soul, no matter how alienated you become from worldly people who don't care about God, no matter how difficult it might be to say no to the temptations of Satan, no matter how much the old you wants to creep back in, no matter how much of human tradition and man-made religion you have to reject and wade through to find the truth, isn't it worth it? Isn't it worth it to arrive at the destination of certainty, 
of the hope of a calling that goes beyond anything earthly, anything physical, anything temporary, anything fading and passing away. Isn't it worth it to go on that journey and find God? So what are the attitudes that I need to have in order to make this journey successful? Well, the first attitude is this, that I need to seek God diligently. This cannot be half-hearted. It can't just be a hobby. Luke chapter 13, verse 24 says, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. I like how Jesus says we need to strive to enter through the narrow door, that it takes effort. We can't give up. We can't compromise. We must seek God until we actually find him, not until we get tired of looking for him. Seek him until you have made yourself what he wants you to be, not until you become what you think you should be. Like all things that are worth the work, a relationship with God is not just accomplished by accident. You don't stumble across God. You strive to enter through the narrow door and find him where he's always said he'll be. The pathway to God is not just one that you find out in the woods by accident. God has laid out the path so that he can be found. It's not some great mystery. He's not asking you to just follow your instincts. But we know how to find God. We know where to look for him. We also need to avoid the trap of thinking that once we have found God, we don't need to exert any more effort. Salvation is not just an event, not just a one-time thing, but it's a process. It's a lifelong devotion to the cause of Christ. We encounter peaks and valleys, pitfalls and victories. Sometimes we fail God. Sometimes we fall short, but we keep moving toward the goal. Part of seeking him diligently is remembering that being a saved person requires daily effort on our part. James 1 verse 27 in the New Testament, James 1 27 says, This is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God, to visit orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. That phrase, to keep oneself, reminds us that we could lose our salvation if we fail to keep up our guard against the stains of worldliness. We must never lose our focus, as some of the Christians in Galatia did, where Paul wrote to them in Galatians chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, You've been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Go to the book of Philippians now, and notice what Paul said here to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 3, verse 11, or verse 12. Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on in order that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal, that, will reveal that also to you. However, he says in verse 16, However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. What a great point there that Paul is making, that I don't believe that I've just achieved everything that I need to. That once I become a Christian, that I, I, I no longer have to strive 
to work, to expend effort. Even as a Christian, even as someone who is devoted to Christ, what Paul is saying is, I continue to strive because there's a prize waiting for me. There's an upward call of God in Christ Jesus that's pulling me onward and forward. And I don't worry about the past. I don't get caught up in my glory days or what I've already done. I'm looking forward to what needs to be done in the future. That there are more goals that I have laid ahead of me. We have to have that attitude in searching for God. We must seek Him diligently. And we can't just rest on our laurels and get comfortable just because we've reached or attained a certain level of spiritual success or our faith has reached a certain level of maturity. There's always something else, another way that we need to be growing and learning and striving for God. So a second point that we need to make, a second attitude that we need to have in seeking God is that we must seek Him humbly. Pride can be a great hindrance to those who are looking for God. It's one of the reasons that Christ loves children so much, because they're teachable, because they're humble. We need to be like children in our attitudes toward God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul had this to say to the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians 14 verse 20, Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be like babies, but in your thinking be mature. Add to that Luke chapter 18 and verse 16 in Jesus' own words, Permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it at all. Children are innocent. They're open, they're honest, they're humble, they're receptive. In fact, they're not just receptive, they're eager to learn. Children soak things up. They're not self-important or self-critical. Realize that you don't know as much as you think. And learn to accept criticism and advice with meekness. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 3 says, The one who guards his mouth preserves his life, but the one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Or in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 16, it says, Thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it, and you shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. And I set watchmen over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. It's pride, that awful grown-up pride. That pride that we develop as we go from humble and receptive children who are so eager to please and eager to learn to, to becoming these adults, where we care only about our own interests, where we're so puffed up that we think we can handle everything on our own, that we don't have to submit, that we don't have to humble, that we don't have to learn, that we don't have to ask. That's the difference between children and grown-ups. It's pride that leads us to resent the honest, genuine plea for repentance. Without humility as our guide, we can easily become bothered and offended when the truth is peacefully, respectfully presented to us. Seeking God humbly means that we need to give God credit for having an eternal perspective on things, that, that God actually knows more than I do. Seeking God humbly means that I need to be willing to lay everything before Him, even the skeletons that are in my closet. Seeking God humbly means considering everything else rubbish compared to the glory of heaven, like Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. 
Seeking God humbly means keeping everything in its place, which is below God. Seeking God humbly means accepting correction without complaint. And seeking God humbly means leaving some things up to Him and being okay with a degree of mystery surrounding God and His character. I don't have to know everything about God to know God. I don't have to know everything about God to be certain of my relationship with Him. And I don't have to know everything about God to trust God. That's one thing that we need to keep in mind here is we we often apply a standard to God that we would never apply to anybody else. Think about a police officer, for example. If you're in a panic and in some kind of a danger and a police officer comes to save the day, do you have to know everything about that police officer to trust him in that moment? Do you have to know everything about a doctor or his or her personal life, what that person's attitudes are? Do you have to know everything about your doctor to trust your doctor's judgment? Do you have to know everything about a plumber who comes to your house to fix the toilets or the drain? Do you have to know everything about that plumber's personal life, what that plumber's political opinions are, whether that plumber uh, passed English class in his sophomore year of high school? Do you have to know everything about a doctor or a police officer or a plumber to trust those people with a particular job? Well, of course not. But often we encounter people who are so skeptical of God, who are nothing but questioning to God because they don't know everything about him, because they don't know everything about God and his character and why he does certain things. So they put their fists in the air and they question God. Why would God allow this? Why would God do this? How can God be like this? They don't know everything about God and it bothers them and it frustrates them. So they're not willing to submit. They're not willing to seek him humbly. They're not willing to seek God on his terms with the information that he has been willing to reveal. Remember what it says in Deuteronomy 29 verse 29, back in the Old Testament. It says that the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us so that we can obey them. There are secrets that God keeps from us, and we have to be okay with that and allow God a certain degree of mystery. Because after all, he is God. Third, we must seek him honestly. Many people come to the Bible with their minds already made up. Having an open mind, however, allows us to receive the word with a mind toward knowing truth. Not a truth that we've set our mind on already. Not a certain outcome or a preconceived idea that we want to arrive at. But truth. The person who believes he knows everything already is the person really in a lot of ways, who knows the least. Jeremiah 29 verse 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. This is likely why the Pharisees and the chief priests of Jesus' time had such a hard time understanding the message of our Lord. To what shall I compare this generation, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11 verse 16. It's like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to the other children and they say, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge for you and you didn't mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, that's John the Baptist. And you say, well, he's got a demon. 
The Son of Man, referring to Jesus, came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend to tax gatherers and sinners. So Jesus concludes that wisdom is vindicated by her children. Jesus' own contemporaries, the Pharisees and the chief priests and all their disciples, they had certain expectations about the Messiah. And when the Messiah wasn't what they wanted, they crucified him. They wanted him to be their earthly king, but he offered a kingdom that was not definable by their earthly standards. So to seek God honestly means accepting him for what he is, not what we want him to be. By obeying his message, even when it contradicts with our preconceptions or our prejudices. By leaving our own ulterior motives at the door, because Jesus can see through our pretense. And seeking God honestly means seeking because I want to know truth, not because I want to disprove it. What's my attitude when I come to God? When I come to the Bible? When I come to the message of Christianity, am I coming to those things with a mind toward disproving them, looking for the holes in the arguments, of trying to find the contradictions in the Bible? Is that my attitude? Because I'll promise you something here. If all you care about is finding supposed contradictions in the Bible, you'll never see the message of the Bible for what it is. And if all you're looking for in seeking after God is to find some hole in his character, to find some kind of loophole for yourself, some fallacy in who he is, well, you'll never know who he is. You'll never know. Last of all, we need to seek him without fear. Don't be afraid of admitting that you're in sin. Don't fear the knowledge of the truth. The Bible isn't meant to scare us, but to produce a life without fear. The individual who makes his life right in the sight of God has no fear. The fearful will not be tolerated by God, Revelation 21, verse 8. And if we're living according to his will, then we'll have no reason to fear him. It is the desire of God, after all, that we approach him with boldness and with confidence. Notice here in 1 John one of the last books of the Bible, right near the end, before the book of Revelation, go to 1 John, and notice 1 John 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence, and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Go to chapter 4 of the same book. In chapter 4, verse 18, there is no fear in love, But perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. So it's time to make a decision and act. Do you really want to find God, or are you trying to avoid God? One writer put it really well when he said that a decision is necessary in order to become a Christian is an idea quite foreign to many people. Some imagine that they are already Christians because they were born in a Christian country. We cannot remain neutral, nor can we drift into Christianity, nor can anybody else settle the matter for us. We must decide for ourselves. We may concede that the evidence for the deity of Jesus is compelling, even conclusive, and that he was, in fact, the Son of God. We may believe that he came and died to be the Savior of the world. We may also admit that we're sinners and need such a Savior, but none of these things makes us Christians. 
My friends, God needs more than simple intellectual agreement or the belief in some facts about him. What he wants is commitment. He wants us to give our lives over to him in total submission to his will. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. And if you have not believed that Jesus is the Christ, then what's preventing that belief? What's preventing you from acknowledging that historical fact? What is preventing you from acknowledging what Jesus has offered, what he has promised? What is preventing you from being a faith person who believes rather than doubts and questions all the time? And what's preventing you from obeying then? If you believe, then why not obey? Why not submit to his will? and do as he says in order to obtain salvation. If you've got any other questions, please reach out to Monta Vista, and we'd love to sit down and study this topic or anything else of a spiritual or religious nature. Thank you for joining us today. To hear this program again, please visit our website at montavistacoc.com. If you're in the Phoenix area, come visit us at the Monta Vista Church of Christ. We're located at 2202 North 40th Street, We have Bible classes for all ages each Sunday morning at 9.30 and again on Wednesday night at 7. For more information about the Monta Vista Church of Christ or to request a personal Bible study, please go to montavistacoc.com. Hallelujah.